Welcome to TA1, everything you want to know about adventure racing and then some. I'm your host, legendary Randy Erickson, and as you can hear, I have my legendary <coughs> co-host, Jimmy Lee. Stevie's here also, but she's a good bird, doesn't say anything, so um, happy Wednesday, even though it's Monday. Little secret, I get to do this when it comes out. Anyway, it's spring here. If we don't get any more snow, I will be extremely happy with that. Um, found out today, unfortunately, that the uh, Old South Adventure Race, we had um, Walker Higgins on a few months ago, had to cancel, uh, not enough um, early registrations. I guess people don't know that... Um, races take a long time to put together and if not getting anybody registering you just can't do it so too bad it was sounded like a really fun race um that walker said uh look for it next year maybe 2020 man that's going to be a weird year 2020 so too bad um i'd like to bed there then I'm not a racer, so I don't count. I am getting itchy to shoot. Haven't done anything for quite a while. My favorite uh, indoor enduro last weekend was canceled because of the weather. They were afraid people wouldn't get here. So, um, haven't done anything for a while other than flying the drone, learning how to do that better. Jimmy's going to sing for you. You're so lucky to get that. Anyway, um, it'll, it'll come. We'll get some uh, some shooting it eventually. So um, here we go. Another lady on the podcast. You'd think, think I'd like them or something. No, kind of do. Anyway, um, plus I'm trying to get a little bump from the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I figure... If I hashtag and at enough Thors, maybe we'll pick up, I don't know, another 15, 20 million listeners or something like that. Anyway, so that's it. Go fast, take chances, and thank your lucky stars you don't have an idiot bird like I do. So thanks for listening. Bye. Are you there? Yes. Hello. <laughs> Don't sound quite so enthused. Super <laughs> enthused. Hey, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Randy. How are you? Um, we're doing pretty good. A little busy, That's got work. On. Yeah, Paulette's moving her office, so got to do a little of that tonight. Yeah, how are the birds? Where are they? Right there's one, Jimmy. Jimmy's on my shoulder, so she'll be screaming eventually. And Stevie's on my leg, so. And the, yep, and the dog is sitting outside the door. <laughs> so, Excellent. but it is all right. So, I'm going to make you feel at ease because I want to make an uh, ass out of myself. Is that okay? Gonna what? <laughs> Jimmy's going to talk now. I'm going to make an ass out of me. Oh, okay, cool. Yep, I'll help you with that. Okay, so we've I've known you. You've known me for like. Four years, something like that. 
Yeah, at least I'd say. Yep. Okay. So, is it is it like I tore my muscle picking up Thor's hammer, or I tore my muscle picking up Thor's hammer? A little bit hard to hear you over Jimmy or Steve. Over. Um, okay. <laughs> is it Tor or is it Thor? Yes, my, my, the H is silent and my name is Pauline is my full name. Yeah. Um, but I, I totally don't get stressed over people mispronouncing it because I get it. But it would be <laughs> nice if everybody pronounced it correctly. Okay. <laughs> so, well, see, see, I should know that because I know you and you're on my short list of people that I send birthday videos to. But <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so. And now we've got a deal that you have to send me a fully cooked bacon video for my birthday for the next 20 years, right? I, It's video and it's bacon. Like, <laughs> what's wrong with that? <laughs> so I, I agree to that. I have no problem with it. The hard part is going to be making it different every year. Yeah, um, well, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> so, well, hey, I, I'm here to please. Um, okay, so we've established who you are, but who are you? Okay, um, I am um, uh, live in Australia and I've been adventure racing for quite a number of years now. I think it probably started in around about 2000, so quite a long time, and I was a late starter anyway. So now I'm just um, an old lady that uh, tries to keep going to the best of my ability and has uh, as much fun as I can out there and really enjoys meeting all the people along the way. And, um, yeah, and the challenges, uh, don't know how much more I'll do, how much longer I'll last, but we'll see. Yeah. So um, I don't want to – yeah, I do want to dwell on this a little bit because it affects my life. What are the challenges of getting a little older – in adventure racing, um, oh, I think I think for me it's it's just the slowing slowing down. I was never fast in the first place, and mm. so just every little bit of sl- more slow that I get um, makes it harder for me to reach the finish line. Makes it harder for me to make cutoffs. Makes it harder for me to find teammates that are on the same page and um, are happy to move at the pace that I can move. Um, so I think that uh, I, I need to pick and choose races very carefully. So I need mm-hmm. to make sure that I have a good understanding of what the goal of the race director is and make sure that I'm not setting myself up for failure um, or my teammates up for failure. And I think that there are, there are opportunities out there for really good races that people can do slowly, people that can do when they're just starting out and they know that they're learning as they go or people that are just um, not really wanting to do the you know, seeing red eyeballs out, racing as hard as you can thing anymore yeah. but still really enjoy many aspects of the, the sport um, and maybe perhaps like to do it a little bit slower. So I just think that you maybe need to be a little bit careful of picking, choosing, uh, picking and choosing the races that you enter. Yeah. yeah, so, so I'm go- I'll, I'll tell you why, why because uh, by the by time the this comes out, out um, Paul, Paul, Paul may be going, going back, back to Patagonia. Patagonia. <laughs> yeah, wow. <Well. laughs> and she cannot be more 
giddy about it. <laughs> yeah, it's got experience as well. And I think um, experience counts for a lot in adventure racing. Yeah. Um, I think you can you can um, sort of take on a, maybe a bit harder things if you've got the experience because uh, it, it does make such a big difference out there in the, during the course. Yeah, well, that, that's, I think, is is really true, um, maybe even especially with that race, having the experience of be, being there is so huge. But um, So what do you, how do you pick a race now? Why, oh, here's a better question. Why did you pick XPD this year? Oh, well, XPD is my all-time favorite race, and I've raced quite a few races in different places around the world now. I've raced more XPDs than any other race. And um, I'm ha- really happy to sing its praises. It's one of those races that it's very forgiving. Um, it allows you lots of time. So if you're stuffing up in the first couple of days, but then get your act together, you've got time to get going again and make the finish line. The the legs in XPD um, traditionally are quite often um, fairly navigation intensive and expeditionary, and they're the two things that I like best about adventure racing. So... XPD quite often has quite long legs and quite often some um, good navigational challenges. And so that makes it another um, easy pick for me. Yeah. Well, yeah. and it's it, – well, it's your home race basically, right? Yeah, not to mention that I don't didn't have to fly to this one, which was, which was pretty good. <laughs> um, I think – well, I, I'm sure racers don't underestimate that, but – uh, other people should not estimate underestimate how much easier it is when you don't have to fly. Oh yeah. So, um, and you race with an all women's team, right? Yep, that's my first expedition race experience in an all women's team. It's something that I've kind of fancied doing for a while, um, particularly because I know I'm a strong navigator and um, I like to be able to I like to be able to do the navigation and. Um, and I know that I can navigate a women's team um, well, and um, so, and I think that's probably something that um, a lot of women's teams struggle with, or individual women maybe struggle with the confidence to know that they are going to a women's team is going to be um, at the highest level in terms of navigation ability in a race. Yeah. And so that was that was one reason that I was looking forward to the opportunity. Um, and I teamed up with a bunch of really experienced. Old ladies, I'm sorry, I shouldn't keep calling them old, calling us old ladies. But it's <laughs> kind of fun. We had an average age of 53. Um, we're all um, didn't didn't have ambitions of uh, getting any particular result just to get to the finish line. Um, uh, I really fancied the idea of being able to get a lot of sleep, get a lot of good food, and 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 also because of our experience and our strong navigation making it to the finish line through the the full course. So, so we um yeah. we didn't quite achieve the aim of getting all four of us across the finish line on the full course. Three quarters of us did. Um and uh so it ha- I have mixed feelings about our our results and our performance as a result of losing um Samson about halfway through the course. So um yeah, I suppose it's kind of a bittersweet I, yeah. I'll Victory, yeah. <laughs> but but um, okay. This is kind of personal. You don't have to answer it. How much? How much money did you spend on hot food during the race? Yeah, we we did pretty well. We didn't. I didn't spend all my money. Um, 
but we, we gave it a good go. We stopped at three cafes, a pub and a, an IGA store. And um, unfortunately, if I had a bigger appetite, I would totally have got through my budget. But um, <laughs> probably I wasn't eating as much as the other. <laughs> uh, we're getting through. Yeah, they were really spending some big money. <laughs> so, was it um, – um, I mean, you, you have ra- – well, m- maybe not. Let me ask you this. Have you raced for, lack of a better term, podium? Have you raced on podium teams? Uh, no. Okay. So um, what is it about – I mean, a lot of people want to win. You don't care. You want? Is it just that you want to have fun with good friends? Well, I think it would be unrealistic as well. So, um, you know, I'd be setting myself up for failure if I was aiming for a podium um, or even a top five. Um I did make top five once, um, which was really, really good fun, and that was in XPD in Townsville. Um, but uh, we didn't expect, and we weren't necessarily racing for that position. Well, I wasn't. Um, <laughs> but no, I think uh, yeah, there has to be other motivations. So not everybody can be um, talented enough and um, be in the right position in terms of training and teammates and all the other things that have to line up to, to be um, racing for a podium place. Um, there's an awful lot of teams that it's unrealistic for, and there, those teams, myself included, are an important part of the sport. And um, I think that their motivations need to be recognised and supported by racers and race directors. Yeah. Well, I mean, <clears throat> yes, I'm uh, preaching to the choir because without without all the other teams that aren't the top three teams. There wouldn't be much of a race. That's right. Um, my top tip for people who are looking at races and uh, thinking about whether to do them or not, if they're a, um, a relatively inexperienced team or a team that does prefer to race a bit slower and stay inside their comfort zone a bit more, is to look look for races that don't have cutoffs early in the race. Mm-hmm. I, I get the need for cutoffs later in the race um, for multiple reasons, but cutoffs in early in the race are just asking for trouble. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, look for that. And if the race directors aren't telling you, maybe ask. Yeah, that's that's a, uh, you know, in almost 200 episodes, that's one of the best uh, pieces of advice I've ever heard for picking a race. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really is. I mean, yeah, pick a race where you're not going to get cut off on the second day. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you get cut off on the fifth day, that's okay. I, you yeah. know, I've had five really? days on the course. You know, yeah, it's not too bad. Yeah, and uh, if, hopefully, if the cutoffs are just short courses, so you, you miss a cutoff and then you're basically on a short course, but you're still propelling yourself towards the finish line, then that's yeah. a, that's actually okay. It's quite satisfying as well. Um, cutoffs that are race enders are really unsatisfying. Um, yeah, so yeah. Avoid yeah. those ones. What about um, if you get moved? Because, you know, once in a while a race will move a team forward or teams forward. Are you cool with that? No, I personally hate that. Okay. <laughs> I'd hate to get moved. It's yeah. happened to me once. Yeah, it was horrible. Yeah. I, but, you know, it's if you look at it from a race director's point of view, too, you know, you can't have teams spread out over 300 miles of nothing. Yeah. So, That's right, and I and yeah. I do understand that, and there's um and I think that there's as we were saying as I was saying before that there are some teams that are 
have different motivations for racing and they might be racing for podium places and they probably should be picking races that are quite aggressive in terms of, you know, they're, they're, they're um, you know, sort of more designed for the, the teams, those sort of goals for teams yeah. that um, want to race neck to neck, want to race fast um, and don't want to have to hang around too long at the end waiting for the slower teams to cross the line. So yeah. um, different race directors will have, I mean, I think if a race director tries to please everybody, then then maybe they end up pleasing nobody particularly well. Um, yeah. So some races just lend itself better to a different type of race goal. Or, um, yeah, exactly. And, and actually, I, I want to get back to that in just a little bit, but um, I want to, before I forget this, because I have the memory of a bird, what's it, um, is it different racing with four women than a mixed oh. team? Yes, it was, and I knew it would be, um, but I actually, it was even um, more so than I even thought, so it, I really enjoyed it. It was, um, we were f- pretty equal on the course, which is really nice, because quite often there is an e- inequality in mixed teams, um, in probably obvious and less obvious ways, but, uh, so that was really nice, that we were physically quite equal, um, and uh, there was a lot of there was a lot of things that you could do in all women's team more comfortably or in, be more relaxed about than you can in a mixed team. Um, so just the personal hygiene stuff, I guess, yeah. mainly. And, you yeah. know, we, we kind of needed lots of peas. <laughs> so yeah. we all did. So you didn't have to feel really embarrassed about it or like yeah. you had to hang on for longer than you comfortably wanted to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so we all had the same sort of um, um, susceptibility to the cold and so we were all pretty much on the same page with when we wanted to put layers on and when to take layers off and that was quite that was quite good as well uh, yeah. and a bit more unexpected. Yeah. Was it um... – <sighs> See, some when I ask questions like this, I, I feel kind of a little sexist. But was it nice not having to chase the guys? Uh, if you, if you know what I'm saying, because you know, obviously I know there's time. There's got to be times in races when you're the strongest person on the team, but man, yeah. man or woman. But there's um, also times when you have to chase, right? Yeah, I probably because um, because I've never been athletic. I've never really been a sporty person either. So I'm like I'm I'm not that um, sort of. I don't really come from a background where I'm used to racing other people and competing against other other people. So I probably was always fairly pig-headed and and this is the speed I go and this is the speed I go. Sorry. <laughs> so if they want to help me to go a bit faster, that's all good. Um, but I probably don't really get affected too much by the thought that I've got to try and keep up. Whereas I think you're probably right and that maybe others, both men and women, are a bit more prone to um, gauging how they are in the team and not wanting to be the one that's that's being left behind. Yeah. Which, I mean, that is the dynamics of, of four people that there's going to be some point in, it, in a race where everybody's the one in the back. I don't care yeah. who you are. Yeah, so. that's right. Yeah, everybody hits um hits those little walls that come and go all through yeah. the race. Yep. Anybody can be in that space, that bad that bad space at any time. Yeah. yeah. Although I'm not sure I've ever seen Nathan 
behind all his teammates. <laughs> but he's not human, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, and I guess you haven't seen the whole course every minute of every race. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Very true. Um, so, I want to touch. So, what you said you didn't have a background of uh, competitiveness. So, what is your background? What 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 did you do, and what made you become yeah. an adventure racer? Um, I think um, I think you've had some people with very interesting, uh, probably more interesting than my background on the podcast before. But yeah, mine's mine's probably not particularly typical. So when I was young, I did classical ballet for a very for all my younger years, and mm-hmm. um, no sport, I avoided it, and uh, probably got into the appreciating the outdoors in my twenties. So I started to enjoy bush walking, just any other outdoor activity. Um, in my thirties, I started uh, picking up navigation, so I started orienteering and doing other navigation sports, and um, still really enjoyed being in the outdoors. And then accidentally found myself in an adventure racing team, which is a good story, so I'm going to tell it. Yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd seen EcoTalent on TV, thought it was amazing, just thought what an incredible sport um, thing to be involved in. To reach the finish line of an EcoTalent looked to me like the most amazing achievement. Um, And uh, I heard at that time that there was um, an expedition adventure race about to happened in Scotland where I was at the time. It was called Adrenaline Rush. So um, I put my hand up to volunteer just so I could watch the race and see these people and, and maybe just get a sense of what it feels like to be in a race like that. Mm-hmm. So I went up to, I had my volunteer role, I had my volunteer jacket, I had my, my task and my kit and knew what I was to do, volunteer briefings and stuff like that. And about 12 hours before the race, um, they had medical checks on the teams and one of the teams one of the people in one of the teams was not allowed to race uh, due to failing the medical check. So um, so instead of starting as an unranked team, in, in, in fact, I'm not even sure if they were allowed to start as a team of three. So they, they needed a fourth. So they sort of said amongst the volunteers, anybody that was up there, would anybody be prepared to have a go and start this race with them? And um, luckily I, I owned a pair of Solomon shoes and had them on my feet. So, um, yeah, I put my hand up for it. And uh, so this this guy whose place I replaced in the team was about six foot two, and I'm not. <laughs> and um, so we uh, did a bit of bike swapping around. So I had sort of the, the middle sized bike in the team. Um, I went out to the local hardware store and bought a soft seat for the bike because there was no way I was going to sit on his seat, and a pair of flat pedals and changed his pedals over, and then uh, proceeded to uh, use all of his clothes, wear all of his clothes, eat all of his food <laughs> for the next uh, five days around the course. And um, we had uh, a lot of attrition of team, other teammates along the way, but, uh, but I managed to make it through to the finish line, which was the most unbelievable. I had so many epiphanies on the way in that race, you know, <laughs> lying down in a bog and sleeping, being bitten to death by sandflies. And just thinking, this is so awesome! I have to do this again. <laughs> so, I um, so I I know people that volunteered to see it and did a race later, but I think that's a first. <laughs> so, um, um, why? What is it in your makeup that made you say yes? <laughs> 
Were you, were you just that intrigued about it, or? Yeah, I'm not prone to being overly confident, as um, people who know me will attest. So I don't know. I don't know why I just thought that I'd have a go. I think there was very low expectation of me. I think the race organisers thought that they'd be pulling me off in the first 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably had – my teammates had a low expectation of me as well. So that probably made it a fairly safe thing to have a go go at. Yeah. No, I can see that. Yeah, um, yeah. There's no pressure, really, right? No. Yeah. So, um, all right. So I got to tell you, you're not. The reason I tell that story is because, um, you know, on paper I shouldn't have been able to do adventure racing because I'm not that good at um, sports and stuff like that. Um, and so I would say that anybody who likes the idea of racing, who like gets it, who looks at a race like. Uh, looks at adventure, um, adventure racing and goes, oh, wow, that looks really amazing. Um, if they've kind of got that already, but um, maybe don't have a whole lot of other necessarily great athletic attributes, then that, that, they probably should have a go. And then they might well be, just like me, really surprised at what they can achieve. So I, <clears throat> I think that is really important if you have that... Um, yeah, just that spark or that interest or whatever in you. You're probably going to be a successful adventure racer, whatever, however that works for you. But yes, I agree, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was going to say, you're not the first uh, dancer turned adventure racer that I've had on the podcast. That's right, yep. <laughs> but um, do you think... Obviously, that's a very physical. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say, from watching movies, that classical ballet is very physical and very mental, um, like adventure racing. So let me ask you: Which is more in ballet? Is it physical or is it the mental things you have to do? Um, I think that there's physical and mental, but it's a different sort of mental. Um, I think the mental is basically. Uh, Mm. You, oh, this, is, this is a hard question. Um, you've got to learn stuff and be able to, uh, yeah, m- make sure that uh, there's probably sort of micro problems to be solved constantly mm. as a dancer. Um, so there is probably some mental, but nowhere near to the extent of adventure racing. Um, no. mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I think that it is a, a really interesting sport from or do you call it a sport not a sport for, um, from a physical point of view because it um you don't think about it at the time you think it's it's very gentle or something but it is actually uh setting you up with a lot of skills that are quite useful um in in many things in that you do in the future so i don't i don't really know but i seem to think that it, it helps me to pick up um, any other, you know, anything that involves other types of movement. So in my, yeah. um, a couple of years ago, I bought myself a pair of track skis for skate skiing. So I'm mm-hmm. not a skier by background either, obviously. I grew up in Queensland in Australia. <laughs> um, so, but I've kind of, I've enjoyed backcountry skiing over the years and can do a decent snowplow. But um, <laughs> I bought these uh, skate skiing skis when I was living in Norway and decided to teach myself to skate ski, which is really a difficult technique to learn mm-hmm. and um, after a, one season in Norway on those and then 
um, bit of summertime practice on some roller skis here in Australia. Last year I um, entered a 21 kilometre skate ski race, the Kangaroo Hoppet in Australia and made it to the finish line uh, in pretty, you know, it wasn't too difficult and uh, I was very, very stoked with that. So not saying that I've got great technique with skate skiing, but I managed to get my technique good enough to um, skate ski for 21 kilometres, which I thought was a pretty good achievement. And I kind of, I don't know if it's true, but I kind of attribute my um, background as a dancer to being able to, to do that sort of thing, to pick up a, a new skill. I don't know. I'm rambling. Sorry. No, no. Actually, I, I know you may not believe this, but this is the kind of stuff that I really find fascinating. I mean, I know about adventure racing. I don't know about classical ballet. <laughs> so, um, so let me ask you this: When you, because it, so let's say it's it's ballet or it's skate skiing. How do you learn the movements? Do you watch somebody? Do you need a coach to tell you, or how do you teach your body how to do those movements? Yeah, um, I do it by watching, definitely. Yeah, I just watch and try and repeat. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. This is this is a fun question. I know it is. Who has the gnarliest feet, adventure racers or ballerinas? <laughs> uh, adventure racers, but only just. Okay. as <laughs> well. Yeah. Well, maybe I, adventure racers, most of their feet sort of recovered. Do, do ballerinas... What is, what is a 60-year-old ex-ballerina? I'm not saying you, but what does an ex-dancer's feet look like for the rest of their life? Actually, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that it's uh, it would depend on how many years or uh, how long ago they stopped wearing point shoes. Yeah. Yeah, because I've, I've, I've seen some pictures, and it looks very, very painful. I, I would say dancing is... A sport, it's just not a competitive sport. Yeah, okay. It's definitely athletic. So, all right, so you go volunteer for a race and end up volunteering to race. How long do you think it took you to feel like you were a competent racer? Oh, um, okay, so I would say my second expedition length race, I was wouldn't have called myself a competent racer either. Mm-hmm. I was probably doing some um, a bunch of short races as well, so 24 up to 48 hours as well, mm-hmm. gaining some experience there. Probably around about that time, I was starting to row gain. Row gains were when I started row gaining. They 24 hour row gains are really really hard. Um, I still find them um, pretty hard. And mm-hmm. In some ways, well, I maintain that they're harder than an expedition adventure racing. Others would disagree. Um, yeah, so then what did I do after that? Um, yeah, I think I was probably getting pretty um, experienced. I like felt felt confident I knew what I was doing probably by my third expedition adventure. <coughs> so, so you're a quick learner, quick study. Uh, always more to learn, learning every time. Learned even more this time around, which is all good. It's great. Yeah. Um, so why are road games harder than adventure racing? Yeah. I'll be controversial. <laughs> 24 hour row gains. Oh my God. I think it's a personal thing, but 24 hour row gains. I absolutely love the navigation in a, in a 24 hour row gain. Um, just especially through the night. I love it. But, um, but my lack of talent and lack of training mean that physically it's, it's very hard. I'm very, I'm suffering by the end for sure. 
Um, and usually in an expedition adventure race, you don't start off with a 24-hour trek leg. And even if you did, it probably would be okay to stop and have a little break along the way, whereas in a 24-hour row game, you pretty much, if you're competitive, you need to keep going, and it's hard. So, all right, well, yeah, I get that. Yeah, it's like yeah, 24 hours nonstop, and you don't get, you don't even get a transition time. I guess it's the pressure. Uh, like a short adventure race is, um, is I also don't particularly like very much. It's, it's only on about day three that I start to enjoy expedition adventure racing. The first two <laughs> days are quite often, especially the first day, is often a little bit too much pushing, pushing um, to go faster. Um, which I don't like. I'm a little bit lazy, I think. <laughs> do you um, do you like it like any kind of racing best when you finally get away from everybody and you don't see anybody for two or three days? Definitely. Yeah, yeah I think uh, I think unless you're like racing, and I'm making the funny quotation marks. I think everybody just likes to get out there and and be by themselves. Yeah. So. Yeah, you've, um, yeah. So. You've, you've got to um, enjoy that that feeling of being in the wilderness to enjoy adventure racing. Yeah, um, you guys. So, but you adventure a lot just for the adventure too. You don't need you don't need to race to get your adventure fixed, do you? Uh, that's that's a good question, and I've, one that I've probably asked myself a few times is why do I race when you can just do all this great stuff. Anyway, um, I think circumstances a little bit. So um, probably in some ways I'm time poor and, and because of the moving around so much, I probably struggle to find people to do a lot of um, really good quality adventuring with, mm. um, whereas expedition adventure racing sort of um, meet, you know, ticks those boxes off pretty quickly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so in some ways it's easier. But then the... The rewards, are, the challenges are greater in expedition adventure racing, and therefore the rewards are also greater in expedition adventure racing than in just ex, than in just adventuring. Yeah, well, well, especially I, I feel like when you go to a new place, you know, you go for a week, and on day six you find a really cool spot. So, yeah, adve- adventure race, yeah, they're sending you there. Yeah. So, um, all right. So I gave you this question to think about, but do you have a JD story? Yes, I do. <laughs> I've got one ready. <laughs> ah, perfect. <laughs> so you wanted me to throw JD under the bus? Yeah, because he's going to be on in a, probably a month or two, so I'll let oh, him. No. I'll give him. To um, have revenge. Yep. Um, yeah. Okay, my JD story. I think he'll like this one anyway. So okay. it's actually not in an adventure race, though, so I hope that's okay. But, that's okay. Um, JD and Mark Matanzi and my partner John and I all met up in Iceland to do the Iceland Mountain Marathon a few years back. So we hired a car and we did a couple of days of touring before the actual event. And um, JD was driving the hire car uh, and speeding. <laughs> Hard <laughs> and we got to believe. Over by the Icelandic police. <laughs> and I, to this day, don't know how he managed it, but he managed to talk himself out of a fairly hefty speeding fine. Um, <laughs> which was an, an impressive feat, but those who know JD probably won't be overly surprised. Yeah, I'm. Um, yeah, I, I see that. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it's like me, me or you could have probably said the same words, and, and 
not had the same result. Exactly. So, um, this is this. You know this question. I ask it to everybody. What's your, what's your best and worst six hours? Uh, now I didn't prepare an answer for this. Um, okay, my uh, and I'll go with the worst first because the worst is often easiest. Um, yeah. I think that one that springs to mind is the first leg of the Adventure Racing World Champs in Costa Rica, um, mm. where it was we started off on a bike and um, during the night we were hiker biking up this um, terrible washed out red clay steep gully for endless hours and I um, had chosen to use a back rack on the bike and load up the back rack to take a bit of weight off my my back. My bike's mm-hmm. not the lightest in the world, it's a bit of a heavy beast to start off with and then it was even heavier because I had it loaded up with all this gear and I was slipping, I couldn't get any grip on the ground and um, the bushes were scratching at my skin and I was getting a getting a reaction to some of the vegetation there and everything was going pretty wrong and it was raining and I, you know, I was really slowing down my team and <laughs> yes, that was, um, that was, that was, I could do with not have ever living through that experience. <laughs> <in soccer. laughs> um, yep. There's probably been a heap of other bad moments yeah. um, in races, but that, that one springs to mind as being a particularly bad one. I can see that. Yeah. I've heard, um, Here's here's an interesting point. Is that first day in Costa Rica might have been the worst worst day I ever had covering an adventure race. Huh? <laughs> so, um, you know, we had we had like twelve media people in one van with a van driver that didn't have a map, um, had no idea where we were going. Uh, it uh, it it got very almost mutinous. And we weren't all a team yet. We eventually all of us kind of became a team um, during that race. All good. ten or twelve of us. Um, after we spent like six hours in this little bar on the Nicaraguan coast. <laughs> so yeah, the, so. the Costa Rica race was epic, and um, yeah. as a result, um, it is my all-time favorite race. Even though we didn't quite make it to the finish line, we um, we got pulled off. Um, partway through that last long bike ride, as we were running out of time, and there wasn't a possible, there wasn't a way that we didn't have the maps so that we could short course ourselves. So we uh, need to get um, a minibus for a little bit. Um, so, but despite that disappointment, I had a great team. We the the legs were just the most epic legs. Um, the, yeah. the, the the epicness of the kayaking legs was just something that I never want to go through again, but really glad that I've experienced it, particularly the the, mangro- the notorious mangrove leg, Oof. which is, was one of the most amazing experiences of my life, and the yeah. huge 62-kilometre, 60-hour trek over Mount Shuipu and down through the remote valleys on the other side. Um, absolutely incredible race, that one. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to say that wasn't a bad team. You didn't have bad teammates. So. Oh, no. I could, uh, I could, I was going to say, I could hang out with all those guys, and I have. <laughs> so, <laughs> you did, didn't you? Didn't you have dinner with us? At, well, I, the, I did, and, and I had sent, <laughs> yep. So you're the last person from that team on the podcast. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, three three of uh, my, my favorite people, well, four of my favorite people. I got to count you. So, all right, but you um, have managed not to give me your your 
best moment yet? Um, I think it's going to sound a little bit um, egotistical. But I as, don't I, care. as I said, I'm, um, I love navigating. It's really the thing that I love best about adventure racing. So I love having the, the map in my hands, especially if we're going, we're off track and we're going cross country. And uh, there was a XPD in Townsville and um, we'd navigated through the night. We'd done okay. Lots of teams were going all over the place, which we found out later. Um, but we stayed on track. And we kept going, kept going. We were on a, a map from 19... Not early 1970s that was uh, 1 to 100,000 with 40 metre contours and we're navigating cross country on it in spur gully terrain with no line features and um, I had uh, my team and another team already in tow following us and then on a, on a ridge line we picked up a New Zealand team who had no idea where they were had spent the night there because they were horribly lost and didn't know which direction to try next so I picked up then so I had this um, this uh, uh, trail of teams you know which contained solid navigators in them all following me through this uh this outback country out the back of um the Whitsun it was the Whitsunday's race sorry not Townsville race and uh yeah what a what a high it was it was freaking awesome that's cool that's up I, I, I buy that one which brings me to another point um and I just kind of saw this and um was it checkpoint 28 at XPD that you apparently are the only person in the world that navigated right to? Is that? <laughs> I think you mean 18, and I think that 18? I was not, not the only person who navigated to it cleanly by a long shot. Um, but I did navigate to it cleanly, and I did do it in the dark. Um, but I don't think it was particularly hard. Like, uh, as you know, I was saying to Craig at the end, it's like I don't, didn't find the navigation challenge in this last XPD I didn't find it a challenge at all. It was it was pretty straightforward. And in particular, that checkpoint was only 300 metres off a trail that was marked with pink tape. So it, to me, it was pretty straightforward. <laughs> well, it, it's always straightforward when you find it. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, so you and John, you race together occasionally. Who navigates? Uh, we don't we don't adventure race together, but we row game together. Yeah. And um, that goes really well. Rogaining, uh, you have two maps, of course. And um, yeah. uh, I don't know how we do it, but there's, there's, it, it works really well with, with very little communication. So generally, whoever's physically strongest at the time, and we're not that, we're not that much of a mismatch physically. So sometimes one, I'll be the strongest and probably more often than not, John will be the strongest. But whoever's sort of going physically the best is probably taking the lead, the other one backing mm. up. But as soon as somebody needs a break to... Um, think about something else to try and get some food down or whatever, the the other one of us can just instinctively pick up and take over. And um, so we can stay moving and stay in contact in, with with the map and um, pretty efficient with the navigation and sustain that uh, for the whole 24 hours, which which I really enjoy. So I, I do like um, navigating with John. Yeah. How long, how long can you be on point, do you think, before you... Uh mix up your north and south so, like like say like say in a row game i mean can you spend an hour on point or longer or i'm not sure what you mean by on point um leading being the lead navigator oh, okay oh no i don't oof. 
it, like um, normally with 24-hour row games, I'm the lead navigator for the whole 24 hours. Okay. Um, but with John, if I was doing with John, it would be a bit more variable. And sometimes it's hard to tell who's leading, I guess. I suppose one person's slightly in front of the other, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're the one that's the closest, that's the best in touch with the map at that particular okay. point in time. Um, so it's hard to tell with John and me who's leading. Okay. Um, but on um, most on other twenty four hours that I do with other people, then I would I would lead for the whole twenty four hours. Okay, so you can you can maintain that that focus for twenty four hours. Uh, Usually, I have a few lapses. <laughs> along <laughs> the way. Yeah. As long as you got somebody to tell you to eat, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, how do you how do you just start this? Decide on your strategy for a row game. Uh, so yeah, the course. So like the points and you know how, what do you yeah. look at? How do you decide your route? What, what's your secret? Important part of row gaining. If you get a good strategy um, that works well and that and that you can that you can execute as well. So a good strategy that you can't execute is not much use to you. But a good strategy that you can execute, I think, is a really big factor in row gaining. Um, mm -hmm. And in particular, when I team up with Tams and Barnes. I think we've now got a pretty good um, thing going in terms of our planning and our strategizing, and uh, and I think that's part of why, part of a good part of the reason why we do quite well in our category. Um, I'm not sure. I think uh, I'm not sure exactly how we do it. It's probably quite a long answer that I don't know that many people would be that interested in knowing I, the details. Um, I think I, I think what up. I do, what probably my initial approach is, I will just randomly look at, at checkpoints and say pick a checkpoint anywhere on the map and I'll look at which is a nice route from that to any other checkpoint around it. So if, I, if I've got my pencil on a checkpoint and then I look mm -hmm. at all of the others that are kind of surrounding it and I go, well, which is the nicest leg out of all of those possible three or four or five legs? And I'll draw a pencil line on it. And then I'll maybe stay there and look at all the checkpoints around that one and go, well, which is the nicest leg apart from the one that I've just come on is the nicest route to another checkpoint from there. And I'll draw that one on. And if I get stuck, I'll just pick another random checkpoint somewhere else on the map and do the same thing again. And sometimes you end up getting quite a lot of things linked up together into a, into a bit of a flow of checkpoints. Mm -hmm. um, and then you might start linking up those sections together and um, making sure that you're not running into dead ends or things like that. And then it kind of takes a bit of shape, and then we start looking at how much distance we've planned already, and then we might have to make some adjustments so that it's either longer or shorter. And then I'll probably look at the route in and out of the hash house, the um, assembly area, and just make sure that of the two possibilities that I've got in my rough plan so far, the one that's got the more opportunity for changes of plans, increases or decrease, um, like adding or subtracting checkpoints, that'll be the one that I finish on. So I'll go out on the one that's got less options for last-minute varying variations. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, pretty much how I do it. Um, that's that was explained extremely well. I understood it. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, are you going to come to the U.S. in 2020 for Worlds? That sounds good. Okay, that's California. Cal yeah, and and from what I've heard. Um, <clears throat> Because my friend Rick, that was the race director here, you know, keeps me in the loop a little bit. And it sounds like it could be really 
a really fun like week of racing. So, oh, good. Um, yeah. So yeah. I may have to have to figure out a way to get there too. Yeah. Well, I'm very um, for another trip to the U.S. We always have such a great time when we come there and travel there. So, yeah. Well, um, I was thinking. I just I figured decided you were the. So there's been three three podcast guests that have been to the have been to the house. So ah yes. Been no, actually four, because if you count Paulette. So <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you and uh, the Silent Chasers, they always yeah. would. St- they would always stop here on their way to Wyoming for Cowboy Tough. So yeah. um, I think that's that's everybody. So, um, so what do you got for the rest of the year? Anything? Any fun adventures and or races? I um, so planning. Oh, this weekend is Easter weekend. So um, I've uh, teamed up with Dane Roberts, who's um, an uh, ex-teammate, a former teammate. So I've raced with Dane three times, I think. Um, and so him and his partner, Catherine, and me and John are teaming up to go pack rafting down the Snow River for the huh? Easter break. So that, that should be fun. I don't think there's much water, so it might be a bit more packing than rafting, but we'll see. <laughs> and, um, and then uh, in May, John and I are heading over to the UK, and John and Mark Latanzi have entered a 190-mile coast-to-coast race, and Mark Latanzi's wife, Laura, and me have entered just the first 60 miles, 100 kilometres of that oh. event. So we'll do that in May in the in the north of England. Um, oh. I'll be over in the UK for a couple of weeks before that race, so for the first couple of weeks of May. Um, and so happy if, uh, if anybody's got any ideas about <laughs> what I can do <laughs> in those two weeks. Um, so if anybody's listening yeah. to the podcast is in the UK, let me know and I'll team up. Um, and then for the, I haven't got anything much planned after that. Yeah. What happens? I've just um, changed jobs, so I keep accidentally getting um, better career jobs without meaning to, and so I'm a little bit nervous about how this new job's going to impact on my work-life balance for the rest of the year. But we'll see. Yeah. Um, how do you? How do you, how do you balance that? Just because we're kind of doing the same thing, I mean, how how important is a job that lets you play? Well, funnily, it's extremely important for me, but I've still ended up um, in a situation where the work is is taking over um, um, leisure time much more than I'd like, and it yeah. just kind of happened that way. Yeah. Well, that's um. That's what we're trying to do with Paulette is to get her working way, way less and making more money. <laughs> so, and I'm like, yeah, I'm like, you know, if if you'd work a little harder, then I could retire. And except I've got like two houses I have to build for people after I get done with where I'm at. So, yeah, well, building houses is not retirement. So no, that counts as work. And uh, retirement is actually not that good for you. So. But building houses uh, or any other sort of um, volunteer work or involvement in things, you need to plan to keep going with that for a long time to come, even if you don't feel like you need to keep Yeah, doing. I know. I, I Well, our, our philosophy is neither one of us will probably ever retire, so it's like why not take a month or two months a year and go mm-hmm. do something if you can, right? Yeah. So... Um, we are very lucky to be in positions to make those sort of decisions and um, you, know, you have to keep recognising that 
okay, I might not have as much money or time as other people, but by God, I'm in so much better position to have fantastic experiences than the vast majority of people in the world at the moment. So, um, yes, appreciate, appreciate, appreciate. Yes, I'm, um, okay, here's my chance to sound a little egotistical. I have to do stuff because people really like following what I do. Nice. (laughs) So... Um, I'm saying that a little bit with tongue in cheek, but um, well, I hope you don't lose any listeners after this one. Now, see, <laughs> that's that's the ballerina in you. I think we've we have actually had a lovely time, and I think it's been really, really good. Cool. And I should know; I've done like a bunch of these. <laughs> yeah, so. it's been great chatting. We haven't chatted for a while, so that's that's a good catch up. That's that's always a good thing too. I mean, I hear that. On podcasts I listen to, it's like, you know, they'll they'll have somebody will have their friend on a podcast and say, you know, we could just talk, and then they laugh. It's like, no, we have to have a microphone. <laughs> so, yeah, um, that'd be good. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing the interview you do with Brent and Abby, who've um, just completed XPD, the same race that I just did. So, yeah, I think that that'll be a great interview to listen to. I'm have I'm, I'm talking to them, and I'm talking to. Um, Where's my list here? Uh, who am I talking to? Where are we at? Where are we at? Oh, uh, Tane Cambridge. Oh, cool. So you, yeah, yeah. That's, that you'll get um, some different perspectives from the XPP race. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. <laughs> here's the thing: is I have like about eight or ten episodes recorded that I have to get out yeah. because. We had God's Own, we had XPD, we had Belize. I got all these really cool people and these cool stories. So people are going to be hearing uh, race stories for a month or two. Nice. And yours is one of them, and it was a good one. <laughs> That's good. So, um, okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take the five minutes that I was late off your time. So. <laughs> and then, oh, it's. Almost a little bit of daylight left, so I, I think I'll take the dog out for a little hike. Good. So, cool. I will. So, this was fun, wasn't it? Yeah, I survived. <laughs> it's not nearly as hard as an expedition race. <laughs> no, it's worse. <laughs> oh shoot! Well, um, I think. Well, we'll we'll see how bad it was in a year. I say, will you come back on? And you'll say no. Yeah. All right. Thanks very much, Randy. All right. It it really was good. Thank you. Thank you. See you at the next Roy Game. All right. So, bye. Bye.
what the real